Today's Locked On NBA is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get $10 off your next order. That's the promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Both top seeds go down in the first round of the playoffs. And Gordon Hayward is going to be out for at least four weeks with a right ankle injury. John, are you worried yet? A little bit. Also worried about when the next season will start. It might not be until February or March. We're going to talk about it right here on the Wednesday Locked On NBA. Let's go. You are locked on the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Happy Wednesday, everybody. And what a day in the NBA. Lots to get to. Let's get right to it. I am one of your regular Wednesday hosts, John Corrales. I host the Locked On Celtics podcast, and you can find me on Twitter at Reds Army underscore John. And I'm Jake Madison, host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Nola Jake. All right, four playoff games, two of them we're going to talk about in a bit because big upsets. Let's start here, though, with the Houston Rockets under control, uh, beating the Oklahoma City Thunder 123-108. James Harden. 37 points, 11 rebounds, 6 of 13 shooting. Uh, they took control in the second quarter, and it was never much of a game after that. No, it, they just kind of started to cruise, and this is really big for the Rockets. Without Russell Westbrook in this game, you can maybe bring him along a little bit slower, not rush him back into action. Chris Paul, by the way, 20, 10, and 9. Danilo Gallinari with 29 points to lead the Thunder. Uh, I, I think Eric Gordon did a very fine job doing a, a, a Westbrook impersonation in the second quarter because he was attacking. Uh, he was four of six from the field in that second quarter. 14 of his 21 points came in that second quarter, five of five from the line. He was just on fire. And that's when Houston was really able to pull away. And uh, I, at the OKC, if they're going to have any chance to compete here, you're going to need a lot more from guys like Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Dennis Schroeder, they were combined five for 20, one of eight from three. They combined for 15 points. That's not how OKC has won this year, and and they're going to have to come back big in game two. They went with a lot of that three-guard lineup, too, and if those guys aren't going to perform when they're three of your five players out there, like, yeah, they're not going to win. No. Uh, Miami Heat beat the Indiana Pacers 113-101. it was a close game, back and forth game. In the fourth quarter, though, Miami pulled away. Indy tried hanging around, but Jimmy Butler and Goran Dragic were a bit too much. The big news here, though, Victor Oladipo uh, left the game in the first quarter with an eye injury. He was poked in the eye by Jay Crowder in the first quarter and never returned. The good news, initial evaluation showed no immediate concerns per a team statement. Oladipo will be monitored over the next few days. He is considered day-to-day. You know, the Pacers got really good performances out of their role players. You saw TJ Warren, not going like full on TJ Warren in the bubble here, but 22 points for him. Brogdon 22. Justin Holiday hit three, hit both, uh, all three of his threes. Like that's really big. And then without Oladipo, it just didn't matter because they don't have enough offense to keep up with the Miami Heat who can get scorching hot at times. Also, Bam Adebayo defensively is something special, I think. He was yeah. everywhere in this game, and the Pacers had no answer for him on the defensive side of the ball. No, he's he's a difference maker. I, I mean, he's he's one of the darlings of the NBA, right? Like Bam Adebayo is – you can't not like Bam Adebayo. It doesn't matter if you hate the Miami Heat. He's one of those guys. 
it's like for me, like a Duke player. I'm not a Duke guy, but if if you doesn't matter who it, who you hate on Duke, like Grant Hill was always like a favorite of mine. Bam Adebayo is like doesn't matter how you feel about the Heat, you, he's just great, high energy, uh, great on both ends. Love the guy. I'm I'm a Pelicans guy. I'd like to see Brandon Ingram win Most Improved Player, and if they give it to Bam, I have zero problem with that yeah. whatsoever. No qualms. Uh, 15 Indiana turnovers turned into 23 points for the Miami Heat. That's something that's got to change in Game Two. Okay, now let's get to the big stories in this segment here. The Orlando Magic, the eighth seed, upset Milwaukee in Game One, 122 to 110 behind Nikola Vucevic. Game high, career high, 35 points in the playoffs to go 14 rebounds, 15 for 24 shooting, 5 of 8 from 3. If Milwaukee is vulnerable to anything, it is a big guy going off and hitting a bunch of three-point shots. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of like the way to beat them. You know, it's look, it's it's game one. I don't want to overreact, and this is kind of what the whoa, Magic whoa, do. Whoa. They we did do it. radio was, here or what? I was about, I was getting to a joke here. I was going to be like, but let's overreact. Uh, Also like, no, like I just wish I could, but like, this is also kind of what the magic do, by the way. They did this to the Raptors last year where they won game one and now they do it against the Milwaukee Bucks. And we know how that series turned out last year. Like good for them. If they get, if the team gets hot shooting from three, that's how you beat them. Particularly, you know, if you can get one or two guys going because they're going to leave you open. That's how their defense is built. And they just kind of bank on you missing their shots and usually they leave bad shooters open. So like it is what it is. Like the Bucks haven't looked great here in the bubble so far in the seeding games whatsoever. So like yeah, I, I have some small concern here about this team. But overall, like they should you know if if the magic go up two oh that's when I'll like maybe flash the sirens. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we talked about Milwaukee at the beginning of this. They had nothing to play for in the bubble, in the, in the seeding games that they had certainly nothing to play for, uh, leading into the, the restart. The number one seed was locked up and we joked that they may not have a meaningful game until the second round of the playoffs. And I think they approached this as if it wasn't a meaningful game. And there's a certain level of, you know, Orlando played very well. Vooch got hot. The Bucks didn't take it seriously. Then they played like regular, uh, a, a regular season rotation. Like Giannis still played 34 and a half minutes. That's really, there's no playoff bump there. Chris Middleton, who was not good in this game, played 31 minutes. They really went like eight, nine, 10 deep in, in this. I, I just don't think they treated this like a playoff game and Orlando did. And so we'll see how Milwaukee bounces back. I mean, Giannis was awesome. 31 points, 17 rebounds. He's going to give it to you, but it's, it's the other guys. Like you mentioned, Middleton wasn't good in this. I don't think Eric Bledsoe's looked good at all here in the bubble so far. And he didn't really give you a whole lot. They probably need more from him on that side of things. And so if those guys step it up a little bit, and as you mentioned, they didn't really play meaningful games in the seeding games. Giannis got suspended and ejected and all like they did not try. They're going to be rusty. It's And we saw a little bit of this in the Lakers game, too, which we're going to talk about next. There's yes. a theme here. Why, why don't we talk about that <laughs> game here? Because, once again, an eighth seed beat a top seed. Portland Trailblazers, 100-93 to 93 
in what was a very interminable game until I hated uh, this. <laughs> until, before, go ahead. I'll let no, you no, I'll, no, before no. I go rant. I'm like no, 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 so no, pissed off about this game. This game was I I I lost count of the free throws. Let's see, a combined sixty-four free throws taken. The whistles were out of control. The game never had any flow. And it wasn't until about seven and a half minutes to go when Dame Lillard started, like, hit his first shot of the second half that we really started to see some back and forth basketball. That's the game sucked. The ending was awesome. The, the first, like, 43 minutes of this thing were just brutal. I don't know if it's that we're recording this and it's 11.15 my time and I'm kind of tired, so maybe I'm like the old cranky <laughs> dude right here. But screw it. this game. Like, the, <laughs> there's, there's the talk about, like, why the NBA's ratings low right now. It's, it's this freaking game right here. You have star power in LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and an, uh, un, like, supernova Damian Lillard. And if I didn't have to recap it here with you on this podcast, I would have turned it off. That's how annoyed I was with the officiating and the fouls and the lack of the flow. And at times like the officiating looking like they were trying to kind of be the star of all of this. You had an awful broadcast. I'll just leave it at that. That made me want to turn it off. And that was an absolute like detriment. And like, then it goes and redeems itself, which pisses me off even more because it ended up being (laughs) awesome down the stretch. Like this was really fun. Yes. Down the stretch was uh, just amazing. So Dame Lillard hit his first, like I said, first shot of the second half uh, when it was 84-78 Lakers. So he had a three to make it 84-81. Uh, and then he just he just went off. And, and I, there are two things. First of all, Dame time and oh the my God, man. insane three-pointer. They, they set a, a pick and roll up near half court. And he used the and, and pulled up from the logo again and didn't move the net. But the best part I think from Lillard is that he didn't force the issue and he gave up the ball. The Lakers did a decent job. They brought in, I thought Alex Caruso did a decent job in getting up in Dame's airspace and get and forcing him to give up the, the, the ball. But McCollum, uh, Carmelo, uh, Gary yeah, they Trent. They all hit big shots. Uh, all yeah, his all big of them shots. Hit, particularly threes down the stretch too. The, the Lakers did Dude. the right thing. Don't play drop coverage on Damian Lillard and get the ball out of his hands and at least make like someone else beat you. And in the playoffs, his teammates like historically have not been able to do it. Here they did. And I think that was kind of a key game in this. So that's our key game, key part of this. That I think is the biggest thing. I thought Anthony Davis down the stretch was pretty rough in this one too. And I think that's where a couple of, you could really nitpick the Lakers to death on this one, but AD sure. in 39 minutes of action scoring 28 points is a minus 20, which I think is somewhat telling, even though I don't like single game plus minus on this, just could not come up big late when they, when the Lakers needed him. You saw some really questionable out of timeout plays too. I think like you should not be drawing up threes for KCP in this game like they were doing in crunch time either. This was, I don't know, the the Lakers with their three bigs get some really funky like court spacing issues all the time and they get killed on boards at one point too with this because you have Anthony Davis who wants to launch threes for whatever reason and I get it, he can hit that shot. I don't know, I didn't like how they played a lot and then combine that with a hot Damian Lillard and yeah, you're going to lose. Yeah, right. Um, You know, look, 
I'm I'm one of the biggest Hassan Whiteside detractors. Like I I never he, like, he was I, good. I, I don't, don't want to believe scream that, that or say it out loud, but he's but good. he was, he was good, good in this game. Yeah. Um. And and this is my opinion is whenever Hassan Whiteside is good, it's because the other team did something bad. That's and fair. The they made Hassan Whiteside good by playing Dwight by playing. JaVale McGee, when he was in there and he, when he's able to help off of those guys and hunt block shots and you know that LeBron is going to attack in those, in those moments, he's attacking, he's going to try to score. Hassan Whiteside helps off his guy and, and gets these key blocks down the stretch. So I, I, again, I do not think Hassan Whiteside is as good as anybody who says he's good thinks, but he was good in this game. And I really do think that it's the Lakers played into him getting those opportunities by playing these bigs. Look, when you put Anthony Davis out on the perimeter, they're going to be fine if he launches threes. You know, I, I sure. get the, the, you know, you make the but analytics joke here. At least you pull here. the defender out. At least you pull so, a somewhat. They were sagging off him when he was out there on the perimeter and like happy to let him do that because when he bricked the shot and that's what the Lakers were doing, at least in the first half when the Portland Trailblazers had a pretty big lead on him and they were up by as many as 16 in that first half, they were just grabbing every single board and eating the Lakers up on there. Another thing we got to mention too about the Lakers, by the way, is the, just the ISO ball that they tried to play. Like none of this was working, by the way, for at one point, LeBron was the only guy who had more than two assists for the team. And it was a combined rest of Lakers had one in the third quarter. He had, I think, 13 in this. He finished with 15 on the night. 15. They're not going to win games if that's the case. If he's the only guy creating, like, as much as I don't believe in Rondo anymore, you could kind of see why they really need him maybe in this lineup. Oh, boy. Anthony Irwin's going to hate you for that one. Uh, <laughs> Look, I mean, I'm not saying it's like the answer and like, you know no, what? You're right. Screw, screw you, Anthony. Normally, um, normally you look at LeBron James scoring 23 points, but 15 assists. And I'd say the Lakers won by 20 because LeBron, LeBron getting assists is supposed to set everybody else up. But you, know, you look at so like, much Dan- you can do though. Yeah. You look at like Danny Green for, they're going to need more out of Danny Green. He's got to hit those threes. He's got to be better than two of eight from three. Uh, Kuzma's gotta be better than one of five from three. Uh, KCP, 0 of five from three. I don't know what we would expect, but he's gotta be better than 0 of five from uh, three. V- v- Vogel thought he was gonna do something, cause he <laughs> drew up a play for him. Like, what are you <laughs> doing? Yeah. Well, I'll yeah, tell you I'm what. Back Let's... to hating this game. <laughs> Dame was awesome. Uh, if you want more on this, locked on Blazers, locked on Lakers, locked on whatever team is uh was playing tonight they've got you covered uh on this uh next you know bunch of games tomorrow you might as well sit in all day and watch these games and don't bother leaving your house open up your doordash app get your food delivered get all your meals delivered through doordash doesn't matter what you want you want chinese you want pizza you want frozen yogurt you can get something there's something for everybody here on DoorDash, and especially nowadays while people are still uh, trying to recover from COVID, these restaurants are really trying to recover. They, they are open for delivery, and so they need your patronage. DoorDash can help you and help them. You can support your favorite for, uh, favorite restaurants in that way. So you open up the app, you choose what you want to eat, 
and the food will be dropped off outside your door. Contactless delivery, not a problem. You can get it safely. 300,000 partners in the United States, Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia. So you can support your local restaurants, or if you want to go with one of the chains like Chipotle, Wendy's, Cheese, Wendy's Cheesecake Factory, it's all good. They're all there too. Right now, all of the Locked On NBA listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees in your first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code LOCKEDONNBA. That's 5 bucks off, zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code LOCKEDONNBA. Don't forget, that's code LOCKEDONNBA for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Games on Wednesday night includes game two between the Boston Celtics and the Philadelphia 76ers. And it will not include Gordon Hayward, who sprained his right ankle and uh, suffered a grade three sprain, which will keep him out for approximately four weeks. It's his right ankle, which is not the one that he broke uh, a couple years ago in Cleveland, but it's still a significant loss. And, um, Jake, I, I don't think this is going to hurt them for this series, but it does now put in question if they face the Raptors in the second series, in the second round, uh, it does take away a, a huge weapon for them. Yeah, you know, I think this is – these are rough injuries. It's that high ankle sprain, which they say four weeks, and this is one of those things where, like, look, I'm not a doctor, but historically those things can be longer than that too, and that's something to kind of keep in mind when you look at the timeline here. And when you're playing a playoff game every other day and you're not getting some of those breaks in this, that can be rough. I do think maybe if somehow the Raptor series goes a little bit longer, they can – I don't know, it delays things a little bit, but this is not ideal for the Celtics, that's for sure. Like, I don't believe it's going to impact them in this series against the 76ers. You and I were talking before we recorded, and we don't really believe in that Sixers team right now. But, yeah, like, this could somewhat swing the East a, a little bit, at least on the surface level, right? Yeah, I think because Gordon Hayward was playing great in the seeding games. I mean, he was just playing great. Um, he had rediscovered some of his bounce. He had re- rediscovered some of his aggression. Uh, he had, he had a really good season this year. And in fact, there was some chatter, uh, around Boston in the, you know, before he broke his hand in December that the Celtics were on their way to maybe three all-stars. And, and he was kind of in that mix early on, uh, averaging about 20 points at that point. Uh, it's just another crazy injury luck for him because he, he broke his hand in a freak thing in December. Now he steps on a teammate's foot and sprains his ankle. Uh, and you're right. Who knows? They're calling it a grade three sprain and everybody goes and Googles grade three sprain and it sure as hell isn't four weeks. No, like, like again, I'm not a doctor. You're not a doctor. I, so I caution, like, don't necessarily take what I'm saying it, you know, like the most face value here. But when you look at this injury in the NBA, it's it's not a four-week injury. It doesn't mean he won't come back from it in four weeks, but this is one of those things where I look at the timeline and I am a little bit concerned about it. It's confusing to me 
because the Celtics are not a team to put out timelines. First of all, they're not a team to put out timelines in general. And secondly, when they do, they're always extraordinarily conservative. So for them to put out a timeline that suddenly feels like it's not, it makes me wonder. That's a good question, right? (laughs) Yeah, right. Because like, are they, are they trying, first of all, are they trying to be coy? And, and make teams prepare for Gordon Hayward when they know that he's out. And, you know, four weeks from now, they say he didn't recover like he, we thought he would and he's going to be out for the next two weeks. Or is this not a severe grade three? Is it like a grade two that was kind of very severe? So they called it a grade three. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's confusing to me though. Definitely. How do you think it changed? Does it change this series with the 76ers? And how does it change this series with the 76ers? I don't think it changes much. Uh, Trying to figure out who starts in his place is most likely Marcus Smart, who is the go-to guy whenever, like the Celtics haven't been fully healthy all year. So whenever one of these wing guys has missed time, Marcus Smart has gone into that starting lineup. So he's certainly not the shooter that, that Gordon Hayward is, but he's as good a playmaker, maybe better, and obviously he's a better defender on the perimeter. So against this Philly team, I don't think that that changes much because I don't trust Philly beyond their starters. Their depth is not great. And so it's not going to test Boston's depth. If the Celtics get to Toronto where there are a lot of great yeah. wings, then the, the their perimeter play is awesome. And to be down a perimeter guy, that's, that's where I'm really concerned. But, um, we'll see maybe a little more Shemi Ojale, who's, you know, strong and tough and can hold his ground against some of these bigger Sixers. But mostly, I just don't trust the Sixers. I, I don't, I don't like the way they looked. I don't, I, I, they reacted I, nicely. I, I'm with you. I'm, yeah. uh, but I'm with you. I don't think it changes much. You know, maybe it drags this out an extra game or something like that. But like, sure. I don't think this is one of those things where all of a sudden it's like, oh, bet the Sixers here. Yeah. No, no, no. The Sixers, the Sixers are a mess and the loss of Simmons hurts them a lot and and just the way they looked in game one I, I i don't trust them so but the hayward thing could be the difference between boston versus milwaukee or toronto versus milwaukee or, or orlando could be orlando who knows yeah could be <laughs> totally uh, oh god uh all right so we'll see but gordon hayward is, is going to be out for a while and we'll see if he is able to come back at all for the Celtics, next, when do we think the NBA season will start? The next NBA season, we're all caught up in these playoffs, but this is going to end. The next season is going to start at some point. The question is when. We know when you can get a built bar, a new and best, better tasting built bar. That's right now because they've relaunched. They've relaunched their website. They've come up with a brand new, better tasting, more delicious built bar. And it's something that I've loved. The old ones, they didn't have to do anything, and I was going to buy more. Now I'm definitely I'm, buying. I'm really excited about these. I haven't got my new order yet, and I cannot no. wait. They've got. They've given us six new flavors: caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. If you don't like those, the twelve original flavors are there. Nut flavors, no nut flavors. They're all still covered in 100% chocolate. They're all still soft and easy to chew. I try to be healthy. I try to watch what I eat. Uh, these are really great for either meal replacement 
or if you're going to the gym, throw one of these in your bag. You can pop one uh, after you finish lifting, and it's great to get that protein boost and kind of feed your workout. They're low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber. If you're on a keto diet, this is perfect for you as well. Uh, they're really great. Not a lot of that extra stuff that you're going to find in other protein bars. Right now, while supplies last, when you buy Built Bars at BuiltBar.com, you'll get a free cooler with your purchase. So go to BuiltBar.com. If you've used the promo code Locked On before, they've reset it. So you can use it again, and you'll get $10 off your next order. So use that promo code Locked On for $10 off and get your free cooler with purchase while supplies last at BuiltBar.com. Reported on Tuesday through sources in the bubble that Michelle Roberts, the head of the National Basketball Players Association, met with players in groups in Orlando. She now, according to them, uh, expects the current collective bargaining agreement to be torn up, but she's optimistic about negotiating a new one. This is important because that's going to take time and there are going to have to be concessions and there's going to have to be uh, a whole new kind of system for dealing with what just happened. And the net net result here, she, according to True Hoop, expects next season will most likely begin sometime between late January and early March. That is later, Jake, than December 1st, which the NBA has optimistically set as the opening for next season. Yeah, there's there's no chance it's December 1st. David Griffin spoke to the media after the Alvin Gentry stuff, and someone asked him about that and basically even said, like, that's going to get moved. There's no way. So I I don't think any of us expect to see basketball in, like, a couple months again when this could potentially go to, like, mid-October. So, like, yeah, obviously we kind of assume January, maybe February. There's a bit of a big range in there, which makes me, like, slightly uncomfortable because, like, you know, January, but maybe not. Uh, and maybe things are, you know, I think they want to delay this as long as possible, probably to try and get fans back into the arenas. And if that's sure. going to be an option or not, because that's going to be really important. The bigger thing here is the quote of she expects the CBA to get torn up because yeah. that is not going to be good for anybody. Now, in the, in that article, it does say that, like, she expects a new one will get redone pretty quickly and it won't be that different from the one they had before. We've seen sometimes these labor negotiations can get pretty contentious and you're still seeing at all levels of athletics right now, players really start to realize like the power they have. Look at what's going on Mm -hmm. with college football and some of the conferences and the players almost unionizing to a degree. If, if this gets torn up, I do wonder how quickly they're actually able to piece it back together. And that's like my, that's my biggest takeaway, not the date change but that more than anything else. See, I, I agree to an extent. However, college athletes and the NCAA it's different, have, have yeah. contentious relationships. Major League Baseball and their athletes have a contentious relationship. The NBA and its athletes have had a very good relationship, recently especially. I think the NBA's bending over backwards to accommodate players 
the way they've the way they've handled this bubble, I think, is a strong olive branch to the players in the union. They've done most things that they can to help. They've they've allowed the players to take their political stands, their social social justice stands. Uh, they've supported them. They've not even given a single hint. Uh, they've that, that any of this is, is bothersome at all. Uh, I think the way that the, the accommodations they've made for like deliveries to hotel rooms for getting creature comforts in for allowing different things that the players have wanted. Every player that I've talked to, every player that I've heard discuss this has, has had generally positive things to say. And I think that goes a long way. In, in smoothing over like any sort of differences that they might have. I think so. I think that also could be used almost as leverage against the players and be like, look what we gave you. Now you need, you know, we gave you your moment when you needed it and wanted it. So now, like, not that there's, that I'm saying they're going to do that. And I would hope they don't, but I don't know. I get a little nervous when it comes to this sort of stuff, but sure. We'll see how it goes. Like I, I don't want to jump the gun on this. It might be fine too. The March thing, though, say January to March, if we're looking at like the timeline of this, is interesting because, one, the Olympics come into play in this, and the players do want to play in that, and that is a very big deal for them. And you would have to imagine that the NBA schedule is going to kind of be built around that. But then how do you get it back to what it was originally at that point? You know, if it starts yeah. in say, – say it starts on the latter end of that, in sometime in March, March 1, let's say. How, how do you get the season starting again in – um, you know, and if you're committed to playing 82 games, so I guess it might be you've got to shorten the season like dramatically, and maybe you do that. Especially if you're not going to have fans in there, you may as well kind of cut it short. I don't know. Like that's kind of the big question is like we're celebrating the playoffs, yeah. we're enjoying game time right now, but there there's like a dark cloud still looming. I think totally. I think I, I don't think this is being discussed enough. That and and, and you know that's I don't why think we're discussing it here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. We have a platform. This is, this is what we do. Uh, I don't think the NBA wants it discussed right now because they're focused on an answer. Yeah. This, right. They, they're working feverishly to figure out what's next. A lot of it has to do with when the, the vaccine is available. A lot of it, I, and I don't want to drag politics into this, but who wins the election will have an impact because it's two very divergent ideas on how this should be handled. And without saying one or the other is right or wrong, there will, that will impact how this country recovers from COVID. So they'll have to, that, that will play a role in how the NBA moves forward. And they have to, they definitely have to see, can can we get when can we get fans in there safely it maybe maybe they do a bubble to start if they feel like you know a bubble in february with fans in march if they can do yeah. that and they can sneak some games in why not but um to your question earlier definitely i think shorten the season uh to some degree 72 they games they have to something like yeah. that um and then it, this, this ripple effect's gonna be felt for a while. Like, the, the following season's not gonna be able to start on time. We might have to wait four 
maybe five seasons for yeah. us no, to get you're, back you're on track. Right. Like it, you might be seeing 72 game seasons for the next three, four years or something like that till you can eventually like, and then everything keeps shifting throughout that time till you right. can get it where you Which need to. Which impacts the, the collective bargaining agreement. Yeah. It's, it's going to be kind of wild. Like it, thinking about like the Pandora's box we can go down, you know, with all of this is like, Holy. just man, <laughs> mind, I'm doing the like explosion. Can, yeah. No, this from, is from like head yeah. thing here. It's definitely the butterfly effect. We're going to like the, 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 fl- the wings are flapping now and the hurricanes will start like months on the road. We can keep going and going and going because free agency. We haven't even talked about the delete eight who, if this starts. Oh, yeah, in we, March, we were going to mention them. <laughs> we were going to mention them, right? Well, I'm mentioning them now. Okay. If this season starts in March, the hiatus started in March. Yep. We're talking about teams, eight teams with a Full calendar year off. How is of that like competitive fair? games? Yeah, no, of, of compa- course right. not. Like, although I do say, I like, it's not fair. And I've said, I think throughout all of this, like, fairness kind of goes out the window to just getting things accomplished. And unfortunately, in times like this, things aren't going to be fair. You try and make them as fair as possible, but like, there will be some teams that get screwed over in this. Totally, and then and it's like how it's going to go. And that's you just have to deal with it, but. You know, there are promising players and important players to teams futures that having a year off of from competitive NBA basketball, what does that do to them? Maybe it doesn't do anything and you never know, but you know, the Knicks are banking a lot on RJ Barrett and having him have a year off. Like, how does that yeah, impact his development? Yeah. That's, that's a, a legitimate, I think, question for them to, to ask. And just like all of these teams have young guys that they're, they're waiting on and. We're also talking about not just them, college players whose yep. seasons ended a year prior to them getting their first taste of NBA basketball. What happens to their uh, development? Uh, yeah, I, I don't. I don't have answers. Like, I, <laughs> no, normally, I'm going to be like, yeah, s- send the check over here, Adam Silver. We'll figure this out for you. And like, <laughs> no, this time, like, I got nothing, man. We'll hash it out. All right. Well, sorry, Silver. Okay. Those are a lot of the, those are a lot of the questions that need to be answered. And we'll see. Uh, that's going to be a topic of conversation that, that's going to be really, really interesting even after basketball is done in the bubble and we crown a champion. So that collective bargaining agreement, the future of the NBA, it's only just starting. So we'll obviously have it all covered for you here on the Locked On NBA podcast all week, every Monday through Friday, Locked On NBA. Obviously, all of the Locked On team podcasts, whatever's happening in the playoffs, go to those individual team podcasts as well for really in-depth local experts covering them, especially ours. I'm John Corrales. I host the Locked On Celtics podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at RedsArmy underscore Joe. And I'm Jake Madison, host of the Locked On Zion podcast. You can follow (laughs) me on Twitter at Nola Jake. (laughs) That's it. Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been Lockdown NBA and the Lockdown Podcast Network.